the other friends that I had growing up. Rob came from a two-family home. He had his mom and his dad. He lived in the good side of town. He had this epic conversion van, which is like really cool when you're 16 and you have a conversion van, right? <laughs> and it had the thing where you could plug the, the, the little fridge in it. So, you know, we had drinks in that van we weren't supposed to. And we would go down to like Baltimore in the middle of school week, right? We'd go up to New York, we'd go to shows. Rob was the type of kid that, um, man, he was so cool. And at the same time, he didn't make you feel like that, you know? He brought you in. And um, he was a sensitive guy. On Halloween night, 2001, Rob's dad went to work. He was going to work. He gets into the garage, opens up the garage door to take his car out, and he finds his son hanging from the ceiling. That was a season in my life where it just felt like wave after wave of loss was coming. I'm sure there are people here who know what I'm talking about. It's like the scab didn't even heal from the one wound and another wound is coming so just a few months before this, I had to fly home. I was serving in Africa, and I find out through a phone call that my father had died. They found him in the apartment that he was living alone, and he had a heart attack, and they found him dead, and he'd probably been that way for a few days. And I just kept thinking, if I had been there, you know, this wouldn't have happened. If I had been there with my dad, this wouldn't have happened. And my cousin, who was also another one of my best friends, we grew up together. He, I have now, I'm now like seven years older than he ever got to live. Because he just drank himself to death. And I was at that age, 21 years old, were my friends from school that were messing around, dipping and dabbling in things, started going hard into things. And all of a sudden, people started going down for heroin, left and right. By this point, all of my grandparents had died. I had experienced a lot of loss in just like three years. And I was asking myself, when is it gonna end? I'm going to sneak a point right in this introduction. It's a bonus point. <laughs> so you can write this down, remember it, think about it. Proverbs 4.21 says, don't lose sight of them, these principles. Keep them within your heart. And I, that this point, this bonus point is that suffering itself, suffering is not sin. This is very important. Suffering by itself is not sin. Paul, in fact, many of the saints would be diagnosed by our modern, you know, psychologists as having a whole bunch of disorders. 
I mean, have you ever read his letters? Dude is paranoid, talks about everybody deserting him. And I, and I want you to remind you tonight that weakness, weakness by itself is not a sin. That failure is not a sin. That poverty is not a sin. This is good news. Poverty is not a sin by itself. Proverbs 4.23 says, tie them to your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. See, the lie of Satan is that you're suffering because you did something wrong. And I'm here to tell you to tell the devil to go to hell with all those lies. Because if it were true, if weakness, failure, poverty, if all those things were sins by themselves, how could Jesus be holy? Because he experienced all those things. He lived in all of those things. In Matthew 26, 38, we see Jesus saying to them, he says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. This is the last night of Jesus' life. He's up on the mount. He's saying, I'm about to tap out. The sorrow is getting to me. Just stay awake with me. Because I don't know what's going to happen. And guess what? His followers couldn't even stay awake. Has anybody experienced this? You're reaching out to your friends. You're reaching out to your family. And they're supposed to be there. And guess what? They weren't there when you needed them. You're in company with Jesus. You're in good company with Jesus. Paul, Jesus' apostle, his messenger, his missionary, says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. Somebody say completely overwhelmed. Beyond our strength. Somebody say beyond our strength. So that we even despaired of life itself. Paul wanted to tap out. Do you hear that in his voice? And there is no, Paul's not saying here any kind of, you know, your words are your destiny. The power of positive thinking drivel, right? There ain't none of that in Paul. Paul keeps it 100. Paul says, I need you to know that we wanted to die, that we were so overwhelmed. We were getting beat up, shipwrecked, stoned, cast out of cities, told we couldn't preach this gospel. Everywhere we went, even the people that went with us, they deserted us. So we were getting beat up from the world. We were getting beat up from the people who were supposed to be the church. They're supposed to be our friends. And we were overwhelmed to the point of death. Paul doesn't say, hey, listen, I know that God don't put anything on me that I can't handle. <laughs> no, there's a reason I asked you to repeat his words. He said overwhelmed. He said it was beyond his power. And anything less than being 100 is toxic and it's hurting and poisoning your soul. And I don't say this out of disrespect. I say this to help you remember. 
I've said it before. We can go take a ride. Can I get a water? We can go take a ride to Walter Rand right now. And I guarantee you that we could find like 20, 30, 40 people who can outquote you in good Christian sayings and the Bible. They got more stuff in their head than you got. But this is what they're not able to do. They're not able to confront their family. They're not able to confront their situation. They're not able to confront anything in their lives. And all the truth in them and all the wisdom that's stored up in them, it's like a man who has a shed full of power tools and he's kneeling down in the grass and he's using those kids safe scissors that don't cut for anything, cutting one blade of grass at a time. The grass is growing faster than he can cut it. (laughs) And he's got a shed full of truth. (laughs) And he won't open it up. You can't conquer what you can't even confront. You can't defeat what you can't even face. And grief certainly comes we're, gonna, we're talking tonight about grief, and grief certainly comes from loss, and it comes from all types of losses, including losing people that you love. But it doesn't just come from those things. And we need to confront our grief if we're going to conquer it like anything else. No two people are going to react the same way. To the same experience. You know what I'm saying? And you just have to be aware of these things. So something like a change in your job, living in a place without furniture, you know, you're, you're in transition, you, you don't have your stuff. Maybe you used to have a car and for a season or forever, you don't have a car no more. Maybe you, you, you've been betrayed by a friend that was an anchor in your life and you thought they'd always be there for you and now you know you have to do this thing without them or some family member. Maybe you've experienced some defeat or some failure in your life. Even good things can shake up your life and cause grief. <laughs> Even good things. You can have a new relationship and you're all drunk with love and yet at the same time, you have to figure out how you're going to live together, how you're going to rearrange your entire life. There's a loss to how you used to live and you have to die to it and you have to grieve it. It could be a child. Every person with a new child can tell you what it's like. You have to grieve the loss of your sleep for the next five, six, seven, 18 years, depending on what kind of kids you got, right? (laughs) Maybe it's a new environment, a new revelation about yourself. You learn something about yourself. And sometimes it's easier not knowing stuff about yourself. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's easier just coasting along, thinking you're fine, and it rocks you to learn Like, I didn't realize I was that insecure. (laughs) I I didn't realize, I I don't really love people like that. 
I, I love people when they're loving me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, that's easy to do. But, but, but when people are needy and annoying and it's hard, I want to tap out immediately. <laughs> we need to have some understanding. We're in this series called Making Life Work. But how can you make life work when you don't even want life? Right? Like, how do you make life work when you're like... Yo, get me to the point where I want to live. <laughs> See, we could preach a whole series on grieving, on depression, on healing, and one day we should. And I, I can talk to you about some resources that can help you if you're, you're active in the, the grieving, you know? But tonight I want to just give you a few strategies, okay? Just want to give you a few strategies. And the first one is something that is taught throughout the scriptures, and it's just this idea of harvest, this principle of the harvest. And the funny thing about this one is that a lot of completely irreligious but successful people get this. They get it. It's something that is often more caught than taught, and and that's a difficult thing. You're like, all right, you're telling me that I can't just learn this. So that's really helpful. So you're just teaching me. So how am I supposed to pick this up? And what I want to say to you is that there's a whole lot of stuff in life that you've got to catch from other people. And you're not going to listen to one sermon and be fixed, right? And that's why it makes sense to jump in with a group of people, serve with them, be family with them, be exposed to them for how you really are, how you really act. So that you can catch some new principles in your life. This is one of the reasons we have been doing this Proverbs, this chapter every day in Proverbs. Take you like a couple minutes and you'll read it and you'll be like, it's saying the same thing every day. Well, that's the point. (laughs) How many times do you got to tell a kid to brush his teeth before he figures out and it just becomes second nature to brush their teeth, I can tell you the answer is not 100. It's way higher than that. <laughs> way 100. Way higher than that. It's 810 you calculated? <laughs> it's higher than 810. <laughs> What is this harvest principle? It's pretty simple. It's just you get out of life what you put into it. What you sow, you will reap. What you plant, you will grow. So you don't have benefits because you work a part-time job. You hear what I'm saying? You got that girl pregnant, not because of some mysterious bad Irish luck. (laughs) You got that girl pregnant because you messed with her, right? You got into a car accident because you was on your phone. (laughs) You hear what I'm saying? (laughs) 
I mean, we, we have folks that, that will often say, like, I don't feel understood. I, I want, I, I struggle to have friends. We, we have those who feel like, I feel like chopped liver. You know what I'm saying? When do I get to be appreciated? When do I get to, to, to be sought after? And, you know, we see in the book of Proverbs that if you want to have friends, you need to show yourself friendly. To the person who says, nobody understands me. I wonder what other people, I want to ask you, what do you think other people think of you? Do they look at you and think that you're an understanding person generally? Are you like empathetic to everybody else but nobody understands you? See, what I'm trying to say is that often, oftentimes, in so many areas of life, if we want something to happen in our life, we have to step out in faith and we need to plant in that direction. We have to invest in that. And like I said, this is a thing that is caught more than it is taught. And a lot of times people will come up in a situation in a home where it's just like they have their stuff together. This is what we do. This is how we get what we need to get in this world. But sometimes we can be so deep and we're in the back during communion time asking for oil to be poured over our heads and to be prayed over. And we want something so deep. We want that, that love from God, that healing, that breakthrough from God. And we're missing the basic way the world works. And we're living a certain way. And we're lying to get benefits. And we're lying to get this and that. And we're trying to manipulate the situation left and right. And we're, it's not working out for us. And we'll just say it's bad luck. But it's not bad luck. We get out of this life what we put into this life. And that's a hard truth to wake up to. But it's a truth still. And part of our grieving is the fact that we fall in the holes that we ourselves dug, right? But here's the thing. We're not the only one sowing. We're not the only one sowing. It's not, so life is not just, you know, the result of your life is 100% what you've done. And you can be proud about it if you're successful. And if you're not successful, just, just lament and grieve and die because there's no hope for you. <laughs> That's not the way it is. In fact, we see that Jesus talks about how even as his messenger sows the word, we also know that there is another one sowing, to, sowing among the wheat. Those, that nasty, nasty imitation weed. <laughs> so we're not the only ones sowing. There are things that happen in your life, and it's like a boom, a Mack truck hits you. There are things that happen in your life. There are landmines that you walk over. And you didn't place that hole there. You didn't put that landmine there. But there's an enemy of your soul that put it there. And it wants to see you 
derailed. I can't tell you how many times when I talk to people one-on-one, how many times it's like over and over and over again, I hear the same thing. When I was young, I was molested. And now I totally have all these questions about everything. And I see how that colored all the decisions that I made as I was growing up. And it's like a snowball effect. Did you ever see the movie Terminator 2? Right? I mean, what happens? There's this young guy that's supposed to grow up one day and lead the resistance against the machines. So what do the machines do? They create a time machine and they go back and they try to attack the guy, John Connor, before he grows up when he's a little kid. But what the machines didn't know is that he had a badass mom that took care of him. And as as a church, that's what we gotta be, right? We gotta be badass uncles, badass moms and dads, and we gotta be there for our kids. And when something doesn't feel right about you leaving your kids with somebody, you do something about it. Because we don't want the same things just happening over and over again and be fatalistic about it like there's no other way in life because there is another way in life. Do you hear what I'm saying? But that but the, the machine came from the future to attack John Connor when he was a little kid. And what I'm trying to say is, is that things happen to us when we're young and vulnerable to try to derail us. Because there's an enemy that sees you have potential, that sees you could serve him, that sees which impact you could have in this world, and he wants to take you off your path. And so there are landmines in the field placed by others, and there's also the other strategy is sometimes the field is salted. So we talk about particular individual people that have done particular things to us, or we talk about how we have an enemy to our soul that attacks us. But at the same time, we also have to contend with the world. And we live in entire communities that are systematically broken. And so the fields don't just have landmines, they're also salted so things can't grow there. And we have to acknowledge the fact that not everybody in life gets the same shake at life. I had a friend, really good friend of mine, who I knew in Kenya. He was a teacher there. Now materially, he, you would like go to his apartment or see how he lived all year and you would think like, he's not a wealthy man. But in comparison to what it's like in Africa. He was a wealthy man. And not only was he a wealthy man because he was a teacher, he was respected, and he had people that worked in his home, washed in his dishes, cleaned in his house. You hear what I'm saying? And then he, he moved down to South Delaware, and he got a job at hospice because none of his teaching credentials matter here in America. And so he went from the teacher, the respected professional, to wiping old people's butt. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It was was a shift. And we're down in southern Delaware, and he's trying to plant a church. Now, this is a man who has a reason to have 
confidence about starting churches. When he studied in India, he had planted two churches. It's just like a crazy thing to me. Like, oh, while I was going to school for four years, let me start a couple churches on the side. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> but we're at the copy machine shop and like a Kinko's or something like that. And he naturally, from his status and everything he knows about life, he knows that his prints are done and they're on the printer. So he walks behind the, the aisle. Now this is Southern Delaware and Delaware's like a little, little America. And down in the slower lower, things are different than up north. And this 15-year-old white kid looks at this Kenyan dude coming behind the counter and he looks like he's gonna have a problem. Like, like he looks scared to death. And I watched, I watched my friend from Kenya learn that position that he had in Southern Delaware. And I watched him in the course of three years move from a person who walked around with confidence, who walked around as a privileged person, you know, as someone who was used to respect and he gave respect and he became a person who had a little hard edge to him because experience after experience taught him that he didn't have the same access as everybody else because of the way he looked. And what I'm trying to say is that Satan salts the fields and your race and the family you come from and the place you grew up, those things matter. And those things have they're a reality in your life that you just can't wish away. And I want to tell you that in Gloucester City, that Satan has salted the fields here. We did a whole series on in Gloucester as is in heaven, right? But I can't tell you how many times I talk with guys. They'll say, you know, Gloucester guys, they just have no luck. Once you get hit with one thing, once you get a, a record, you're done. There's nothing you can do. And I want to tell you that that mentality and that reality of growing up with opposition, with feeling left behind, with feeling not like somehow everybody else, that is a tactic of the devil to salt the field so that life won't grow. But we are called to challenge all of that, not just your personal individual things that happen to you, but we're looking at it from the reality that there's injustice in this world. And that's why tomorrow I get on a plane and I'm going to go to Minneapolis, actually St. Paul in Minnesota, and I'm going to have a little exhibition table and I'm going to tell a bunch of wealthy churches to give us some money here in Gloucester because we need it. Because we've got folks that we're buying bathing suits for, we've got kids that we're providing lunches for because we've got people that we're putting in houses. We are struggling. We ain't made of money. We're not all starting at the same place. That's an imaginary thing. And God has called us to help each other out. Sorry, I got excited about that. Let's get back to grief. <laughs> listen, listen. 
I remember going around like to pastors all over this place, all over South Jersey from Woodbury, Westville, Belmar, Gloucester, other places. And I was told again and again and again by pastors, that's a hard context. What you're trying to do, yeah, they, they, they have rejected this. They don't want the gospel. And what I want to say is whatever hard things you have in your life, whether it be the family you came from, the, the list of mental health issues you have on your labels, <laughs> whatever it be, your race, whatever thing that you come in, whatever baggage you have, what I want to say to you is that when pastors told me that, I think they wanted it to be like a cup of water over my fire. But instead of that, buddy, it was kerosene. And I want it to be like that for us. When you look at all the challenges that you face, you can recognize I may not face the same challenges as somebody else, but I face a bunch of challenges, amen? And I want those challenges to not be water on your fire, but kerosene. Because God has called you to walk through that and to have victory over that. We were praying in the middle of the week and we're praying through all the Psalms and the Psalms are full of images of like victory over your enemies. And um, as I was praying that we were talking about, I was like, you know what? A lot of people don't know what it's like to be a conqueror. They don't know what it's like to actually have their foot over their enemy, feel the pulse of their enemy on their foot. They don't know what it's like to just finish things, to just see things come through for them, to just, they worked on something and something good came out of it. And so when we read these passages, we need to, we're not trying to fight people, right? Those days are done. Okay, I know they're not done for all you. I'm telling you though, stop it. Stop brawling. Nobody needs you punching anybody. But listen, we still got things to conquer. We still got stuff to fight. And I want you to experience victory in your life. I want you to experience what it's like to finish your enemy. Not just be like, this is how it is. I just got to accept it. So I'm just going to skip the, the second one. We'll do it another time. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this one. We, here's another principle, the last one. We are called to push back darkness. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Look forward, look back. Listen, don't be, don't be like my friend Rob. Before he died, he was showing all kinds of signs. We go to his bedroom. He had these nooses. He was learning how to braid the nooses. We were just thinking, whatever. We were all into like weird music and stuff. You know what I mean? We wouldn't think twice about it. But all of a sudden, that switched into another level where it was like Leonard Cohen all the time, clear-looking liquor every night, and, 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 and like never up during the day, and just just diving deeper and deeper and deeper. Don't have, there's a difference between 
being 100, there's a difference between being honest with yourself, honest with other people, and just staring into the black hole. There's a difference between being honest and just deliberately like, all right, I'm going to have my anti-devotion. You know, we have these things called devotions as Christians where for like 10 minutes or 15 minutes, like I'm going to read this little portion of scripture. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to pray. You know what we do though? It's like, it's almost as deliberate as that. We have an anti-devotion and we're like for 15 minutes, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to worry. I'm going to write on a piece of paper everything that's stressing me out. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to think about it. That's not being honest with yourself. That is sliding in to the abyss. That is giving in to the darkness. Preach to yourself. Push back by preaching to yourself. You're a mess, but you're loved. And whoever rejected you, God doesn't reject you. Preach that to yourself. You're selfish, but you're not staying that way. Okay? Preach to yourself. Give the middle finger to the devil, right? When the devil like, tries to push you down on your knees, say, serve me, give up. I'm just going to keep kicking you. Random stuff is just going to keep coming in your life. And there's going to be sicknesses and financial problems. You don't just stay on your knees and say, all right, you win. I'm just going to live down in the gutter. No, you stand up and you say that God is with me. Who can be against me? Your current situation, preach this to yourself, that your current situation, your current suffering is not your permanent situation. I remember, I, I think I told you this before, I used to have a ministry in Philly to a bunch of single guys who were just recently single because they had broken up with their girlfriends. And it was a ministry called, you know, get over it. <laughs> there are bigger things in the world. <laughs> And I remember these kids, like, in college, they feel like the, the, the whole world was ending. They felt like they were drowning and everything was over because their girl had just dropped them. And I'd be like, come with me. And we would go in the neighborhood and we'd knock on somebody's door and we would have our eyes opened up to what some real problems were. And they would walk out of that situation feeling 50% better. And that doesn't even make sense because when you put somebody in a spot where they're triggered, where it's more depressing, where people are struggling real hard, it, it, you, you'd think that would depress them, but it wouldn't because they could be the hands and feet of Jesus. They could see what they still had, the health they still had, the years they still had to make a difference. So I want you to look back and I want you to look forward. I want you to look back and celebrate what God has already done for you. We need some, I got out of the house today parties in our community. Like we have, we have situations where people are struggling with anxiety, right? And we need some, I got out of the house today parties. We need some, I got my hair done and I didn't cut it myself. 
And guess what? That's a big deal that I got to have somebody else cut my hair. And I, you know what I'm saying? Like we need to celebrate what we're able to do when we're in a spot where we're struggling and other people might be looking down on where we're at. Sometimes we got to throw some of our own parties. We need some, I got the report that I don't have cancer parties. I'm not just preaching this vague. You know who I'm talking about. We got some, I got out of jail parties. We got some, I'm not dope sick right now parties. We need some, I'm not looking for love in the next guy party. I'm not trying to do this on my own party. We need some, I'm not looking at pornography every single day party. We need some, I'm starting to go to church again. And I'm starting to build my life up again parties. We need some, I'm not there. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, you need to celebrate the small victories. You don't need to wait until you've got that house, that mortgage, the lease on your car, everything you imagine in your head. No, you need to celebrate all those little victories. Or you're not going to have any energy to keep moving forward. And I want to ask you tonight, are you dependent on other people being proud of you and other people celebrating what's going on? The small little things I got out of my house, those small things that that may be normal for somebody else, don't be. Are you posting on Facebook about your most recent workout or what you've been eating, what you've been doing, because you're celebrating it and you're just generally grateful, or because you're dependent on other people seeing it. Listen, we wanna be the type of church that pushes back the darkness, where we preach to ourselves, we preach to each other the gospel, where we celebrate small victories, where we learn how to party, right? We learn how to party for little things and big things. And we wanna do that for each other. We wanna recognize those things in each other. But at the same time, we wanna teach you to do that for yourself, to not create a dependency all the time on someone else needing to tell you that they're proud of you. Now, if you need somebody to, you need to hear that. I'm telling you right now that I'm proud of you. You're here. But I want so much more than that for you. I want you to be able to learn how to celebrate the fact that you are not where God has called you to be, but you're not where you used to be either. That you are moving in his direction. And as we learn to party, as we learn to preach, as we learn to celebrate, as we learn that suffering itself is not a sin, as we put these things together, God can help us move out of our grief. Let me pray for us. God, I pray pray that, Lord, you would meet us and minister to us. I pray, Lord, that, Lord, we would be able to admit and be a hundred and confront 
ourselves and all of our mess, and at the same time celebrate all the ways that you have been working in our lives. And as a new and young church, we pray for that, Lord. We thank you that we are doing things that were impossible for us to do just a few months ago. God, we thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have been working in and through us. And we're not gonna stop praising you. We're not gonna stop partying because we have big problems. So I pray, Father, we'd also learn how to have big parties, Lord. We would, we would be a people of joy. We wouldn't be a people that just spiral down into depression and grief. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be able to tell each other, lift up our eyes higher than the hills from where our help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen.